Readers, writers, listeners, welcome. This is the Page Turners Podcast, and I am your host, Miranda, an avid reader, a published author, and a longtime listener of podcasts. This is the Page Turners Podcast, Season 2, Episode 7. Being Miss South Dakota has allowed me into some pretty incredible spaces in the last few months, and one of which was the South Dakota Festival of Books Young Readers Festival, say that five times fast, (laughs) where the South Dakota Humanities Council brings together thousands of third graders from across the state to meet with and hear from an author. And each year they provide every third grader, let me repeat that, every third grader in South Dakota truly incredible, with a copy of a book and then give some of those students the chance to meet said author. And this year, I was asked to be a part of this event and help introduce their 2023 author. Now, as great as all that sounds, (laughs) this was an extra special opportunity personally because it was the author of a cherished book of my childhood, Because of Win Dixie. So joining us today to share her journey and the importance of literacy is Kate D. Camillo. Thank you for doing this. Seriously, I... I said it when you were here in South Dakota, but I was just so in awe of having you there physically, seeing the author that wrote, you know, one of my favorite books growing up because of Win dixie And I've got to tell you too, before we dive in more, I have seen so many third graders in the last month that go, you were the lady there with Kate DiCamillo. They don't know <laughs> me, but they knew you. And so they were like, you were there with her. You got to meet her. And I said, I did. You got to meet her too. And it's just been really cool. So I, I wanted to share that with you, that you really do impact so many people, especially those third graders. They ate that up. They still talk about it when I see them. Well, you know, uh, I say thank you back to you because that trip was really meaningful for me. And it was really nice to have you there like, introducing me each time and I love your platform you know it was just such a nice dovetailing it was so the whole thing was just I look back on it with a huge amount of gratitude and fondness so thank you yes thank you it was a cool opportunity um so we had the pleasure of meeting in person along with thousands of third graders from across South Dakota but my listeners might not have any idea who Kate DiCamillo is. So tell us a little bit about who you are. So I am, um, I'll start with how old I am. How's that? Perfect. Uh, I'm a 59-year-old Minnesotan. Um, so I grew up, though, in uh, Central Florida, in a small town in Central Florida. I lived in um, Minneapolis now um, for almost 30 years, so almost half my life. And um, I started to write um, when I was 30 years old. And I have written, I was just doing this with a group of kids. I think I've done 40, written 40 books. And um, I I consider myself to be really, really fortunate in that I've um, found what I'm supposed to do with my life and I get to do it for a living. So I am a storyteller. Isn't that incredible when you find that thing and you know it, you can feel it. You can feel when you're on the right path and you're kind of doing, I don't know, your life's mission, maybe if that's the way to describe yeah, it. Yeah, you know, and for me, it was like, because I I, um, I started writing 
and um, I didn't start by writing books for kids. And um, then the very first book that I uh, wrote for kids was Because When Dixie. And I remember um, when I started to work on that, that I thought, oh yeah, like this is before it was published, before anything. I just felt like this is what I'm supposed to be doing, you know? And um, it, it's wonderful like I said, that I get to do it, but that I get to do it um, for my living seems incredible to me. And uh, you understand that too. And so it's your passion is also your job. Pretty great. Mm-hmm. I hope everybody gets that opportunity to find their passion and make it their job. Definitely. Yeah. So you you just mentioned that you didn't start by writing books for kids. You started by writing you know, adult novels. That was what I imagined I would do. So I have now written a kid's book. So kind of the the same thing. Oh, that's, I want to write a novel, the great American novel, and then wrote a kid's book. And that's kind of what got me into, you know, my journey as an author as well. But I would love for you to share even just a little bit more on your background. When we talked with those third graders, you talked about how you found that passion for storytelling. Please share that if you would. Yeah, so I, um, I was actually born in uh, Philadelphia and um, and lived there for the first five years and um, uh, and was a really sick kid. Uh, I got pneumonia three winters in a row, ended up in the hospital. Um, and uh, because I'm so old, it was uh, at, during a time when they still prescribed geographical cures. So uh, the the doctor said, move her to a warmer climate, which is how we ended up in Florida. But we ended up in Florida <clears throat> and um, my parents separated and it was never really talked about that much. Um, and I did not uh, get pneumonia again, but I kept on getting sick in all kinds of ways. And um, it's one of those things, you know, and you heard me say this when I was talking with the kids where that absence of my father and all that time alone because uh, my mom was raising me by herself um, and she was a teacher. She would go off to teach and I was home alone and there was no TV. Um, so those things that seemed negative actually became a positive in that I, um, I learned to live in my imagination and um, I read and read and read and read and I learned that um, books could change me and change the course of of my life and so um, without that and also you know this whole thing with my dad leaving um, and books for me are a way to connect and so those those two things shaped me, those two hard things, all the sickness and um, that reaching out from my dad and, and learning to connect in other ways um, and turned me into, you know, a writer. But <laughs> I did start, you know, like not writing for kids, but thinking, oh, I'm going to write short stories for adults, which I think a lot of people start there thinking, oh, short stories, they're, they're short, therefore they're easier. And of course that's not the case <laughs> at all. Yeah. So yeah. Okay. I talked for too long there. No, me. you talk as much as you want. I can listen. And I know my listeners will want to listen to you more than anything else. I've, I've got kind of a silly question before we talk more about literacy and being an author. 
you were prescribed as a kid to move to a warmer climate. You now live in Minnesota, which is right. not a warmer climate. How did you end up there? <laughs> yeah, I ended up here because um, of what I call a, <clears throat> a pre-midlife crisis. Um, so I was uh, 29, uh, actually, when I came. Um, and uh, it, I had I was in a rut in every possible way. So I had this idea that I wanted to write and I wasn't writing. I had been dating uh, the same guy for a long time and that wasn't going anywhere. And um, one of my best friends <clears throat> was from here and was moving back to Minnesota and she needed a roommate. And I said, oh, I'll go thinking, you know, how cold can it be? Um, <laughs> Cause I'd never been. <laughs> and, um, and so I just kind of like, it was one of those, I was just young enough and just, you know, to, I just needed a change and I did it. And it turned out to be the best thing that I ever did because I found a writing community here. There's so many, um, there's a wonderful grants for writers here. I got the job in the book warehouse, which then led to me writing for kids because I was on the third floor where all the kids books were. And so it was just like, I didn't do it for any kind of well thought out reason. I just kind of left and it turned out to be the right thing. Absolutely. And as far as the cold weather and pneumonia goes, you know, <laughs> I don't know that they believe in that connection anymore. And mm -hmm. I can only tell you that I love the cold weather. I'm just kind of like, it's like the summers that I'm like, oh man, not the summer again. It's just like, I, I love the cold weather and it's really good for, um, you know, for hunkering down and writing. So definitely. I just, I, growing up in South Dakota, you have a lot of people, especially in the last few years who have moved to the Midwest and to South Dakota in particular. So I'm always, always curious to ask people, why you know what what drew you to South Dakota what was your reasoning so purely out of my curiosity I just needed to know why <laughs> <laughs> and of course as usual I have a very long answer so yeah <laughs> so you mentioned the book warehouse which I'm glad that you did because I so I took some notes on my phone when you were speaking here <laughs> um. <laughs> in South Dakota because there were things that I I really resonated with or really thought would be truly inspiring um, and so I would love if you could to talk more about that book warehouse and talk about Gary, because you worked with Gary uh, at the warehouse, right? Yeah. And it's funny because, you know, I, how many groups of kids, we did three group groups together, right? That you yes. were there. And so, yes. and depending on the kids, different things came up in the Q&A and stuff. So I don't, yeah, I did. So <laughs> the book warehouse, it was a book distributor for the uh, whole upper Midwest and um <clears throat> my job was to pick books. I was a picker and I would go around filling orders, picking the books off the shelves. And um, I randomly um, was assigned to the third floor of that warehouse when I got the job. And um, the third floor is all kids books. And so when, when I started that job, I didn't think, oh, I want to write um, books for kids. But I started to read some of the books. One of them was a novel called The Watsons Go to Birmingham, 1963. And I thought, I wanna to try to do something like this. Okay, so that was one gift of the warehouse. And another gift of the warehouse was uh, this guy named Gary, who, like, I think I said this to the kids, let, let's, 
you know, uh, pretend that his name is Bob, even though his name was Gary. I like to do that. You know, it's just like he's, I mean, his name is genuinely Gary. I don't know what he's doing. So anyway, <laughs> I, I figured out that I needed to, um, the way that writing worked for me was to get up and do it first thing in the morning and to do two pages. And so um, I would be at the warehouse by 7.30 in the morning. So I would get up at about 4.30 and do those two pages. And then I would go and clock in at the warehouse where Gary was clocking in. And he knew that I was getting up and writing two pages before I came in. And he always said the same two things to me at the time clock. Uh, do you think that Dickens wrote just two pages a day? which was just a really enraging statement. And I had never had an answer for it. And then as I, you know, like started to walk away from him and go up the stairs to the third floor, he would always shout after me, what's plan B? What's plan B, babe, for when the writing doesn't work out? And I like to tell that it, it works better with older kids, but there, there must've been a group of third graders that were ready to hear that, you know? Um, and, I'd like to tell them that it's like, it's fantastic to have people that believe in you. And it's also great to have people that don't believe in you at all. And, um, it, it, you know, when my alarm went off at four 30, thinking about Gary waiting for me at the time clock, ready to mock me, it was not why I got out of bed and wrote, but it made it easier to get out of bed and write. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I don't know if I said this when we were with those kids, but like, <laughs> you know, that first book came out, it did much better than anybody anticipated. I um, left the warehouse and I would wake up sometimes and think, Gary is in the warehouse, moving around boxes of my books. And it was deeply satisfying to me. I will not lie. <laughs> uh, you know, Gary ate his, his words a little bit there. Yeah, right. And, you know, and I'm really genuinely grateful to him. Genuinely grateful. So, you know, I, I hope Gary has heard that or somehow hears this or something and, and understands that what he was doing, you know, he probably saw it as I'm, I'm picking on this woman. I'm, you know, she's not going to make it. So I'm just going to kind of tease her about it. Um, but yeah, he kind of pushed you, you know, in this, in this other way, he was kind of part of that driving force of, you know, let me show Gary, let me show the Gary's of the world that, that it can happen. And that's something that I like to share with people too. I just did a school presentation the other day where I I looked at every kid in the eye or as many as I could, you know, across this room. And I said, if you do something with passion and hard work, you can make it happen. Even if you don't reach the end goal, you're going to find something amazing along the way, but you have to work for it and you have to have that passion for it. And sometimes you need the Gary's to push you a little bit. So yeah. I love that story. And, you know, another thing that I think about with that is like, um, and maybe you, get to say this when you talk to kids too but um it takes a lot of courage to have a dream um it's a lot easier to to not dream and, mm -hmm. and you know it would be um because it's just like you're really putting yourself out there and so um and, and I think a lot of people 
don't want to be mocked for it, don't, and they think, okay, never mind, I won't do it because you know I knew that the odds were astronomically against me making a living as a writer. It was not. Um, I didn't think it could happen. I thought that you know if I was really lucky. I might be able to go down to working 30 hours a week and make a little bit of money from the writing. So it was just, it was not that I thought that I was, it was just, I had found what I wanted to do and I, and I was going to insist on doing it. And um, I think that that is something that a lot of people, the Gary's of the world, <laughs> don't want you to dream yeah you know it's like I don't know if you've ever heard this um this is in some self-help book I read about how uh, lobsters are in a trap and there's a way out of the trap but if one lobster tries to get out the other lobsters will like kind of dismember him and hmm. so it's just like it, it's like people um are afraid to dream and it and so part of what you do and part of uh what I can tell people is it's okay to dream. It's very, it's very brave to dream. Definitely. Yeah. So with that dreaming and and with, you know, those other lobsters, those Gary's kind of trying to pull you apart at the seams, literally for the lobsters. <laughs> That's interesting. Um, it wasn't just Gary though, who kind of said, Kate, maybe you can't do it. You talked a lot about the number of rejection letters that you got, which I think is, I'm sure when it was in the moment, we'll talk about the number here in a second, but in the moment, I'm sure it didn't feel this way, but that's very impactful and very empowering to hear, you know, how, how many times you were told no, and you still kept pushing forward with your dreams. So can you talk a little bit about those rejection letters and the number yeah. of them? Yeah. And, you know, and you heard this with the kids where um, uh, when I asked them, okay, so you, you're, you, you've you got a story ready and you're going to send it out. What do you get back? And the kids will generally say a book or money. And, you know, neither one of those things happen. Um, what happens is you get um, a rejection letter. And then I asked them to guess how many rejection letters I got. And they you know, even if they're really rowdy and getting wound up, they never go high enough. You know, they're always surprised by it's 473. And and then their room, you heard it, will erupt and, and like, what? You know, what's wrong with you? And then I always say the same thing to them. What if I'd given up at 471? Mm -hmm. You know, wouldn't be standing here talking to you. So it's like, um, and, you know, sometimes a kid will come up to me afterwards and say, but why, why did you keep on going? And, and it was that thing of, I, I saw that no one, I couldn't make myself lucky. I couldn't make myself talented, but it was very much within my power to keep on doing the work and to try sending the work out into the world. And so it was just like that, that was the one thing I could control. So I kept on doing it. Talk with me a little bit about now the 40 books that you have written since, you know, those initial 473 rejection letters. Talk with me a little bit about your books and kind of your creative process, how you've come up with and created 40 phenomenal titles and works. Um, by, as I say to the kids, by eavesdropping, you know, it's just like, because they always say, where do you get your ideas? And um, I, you know, I talked to them about my notebook. I talked to them about paying attention to everybody. 
and uh, paying attention to the world. So it's like, I just, I always have a notebook with me. I'm always listening, I'm always watching. And I've learned um, to jot down what I think might turn into a story. And then I've learned to slowly make my way draft after draft through a story, you know, two pages at a time. And so, and you know, anytime I go in and talk to a large group of kids, I think if one kid in that, in that room walked away thinking she's not anything special, but yet she's doing something really uh, like a magical job. I think it's magical to get to write books. Don't you, you know? And I think, then then I've I've done my job of standing up there and talking to them because it is just this is a job for human beings. Um and uh I'm a messy human being who gets to to be part of the magic of bookmaking. So you also get to be a part of the magic of inspiring. You know, we've talked a lot about those third graders that you've spoken with. I I shared at the beginning that there are kids now what it's been a month two months month and a half something along those lines since I had the opportunity to meet you in person and we got to present because of the South Dakota Humanities Council and I have seen these third graders and they are still just jazzed they are riled up about the fact that they got to meet you and read your book and hear from you and learn about becoming a storyteller you are helping inspire people you know those third graders yes me yes but others what is it like knowing that you you kind of get to be that person to hopefully inspire the next generation of writers and readers, especially when we do have lower literacy rates and people don't have that passion for reading like some of us do? Yeah, you know, I that's one of those things because when you talk about it that way, it sounds like this huge responsibility. And I think, <laughs> oh man, don't think about that. But but what I think is, it, it's, it goes back to what I was just saying about that thing about showing up and being absolutely honest and human um, and uh, reminding them that this is something that human beings do. And, you know, and you probably, the, the literacy rates, you know, I see so many kids who are so passionate about books and maybe you see this too. So it's just like, I just want always when I'm out there talking to them to remind them of something that they already know, which is and they know this without maybe thinking about it, that it is a real joy to read and it is a privilege, you know, it's a real privilege. I mean, it is astonishing that you can go into a library and the librarian will work hard to get you exactly the book that you need. It is incredible to me still to think about that. And that is anywhere in this country the local library is waiting for you and the librarian is waiting for you. And what, what a gift that is, what a privilege, you know, and, and what a joy. And so it's just like, I just like to think that my job is to go around and remind them of that privilege and joy. And those doors to the library are always open. That's something that I try, you know, when it comes up to remind people when they're listening to these episodes is no matter where you are in life, no matter where you are in your reading journey, you can still open a book. You can still walk into the library. It's still open to you and accessible to you no matter where you are. Yeah, Uh, it's incredible. I think that's beautiful. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. that's the really cool part about it is, is 
you can start at any point. You can restart and repick up a book at any point and you're, you'll be welcomed in with open arms, which I love. Right. Amen. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so I think I mentioned to you, full disclosure to everybody listening, met Kate, part of the South Dakota Humanities Council. They do uh, a, a book festival every year. And <laughs> I shamelessly had to, had to ask you and, and your public, who, who was that with you? Jennifer, was- Jennifer, she's my publicist. Yeah. Okay. Jennifer is your publicist. Yes. Yeah. So I, I shamelessly, I said, I'm going to go for it. And I said, Kate and Jennifer, I do a podcast. This is my, my platform for the year where I talk about literacy rates and the importance of reading. Can Kate be on my podcast? You know, can we make that happen? I thought I'm just, I'm going to give it a try. The kids nowadays say, shoot your shot, if you will. Um, and I, I had to tell you a little bit about it because I was so inspired by you and, and hopefully you could help me with inspiring people. But I mentioned that there's kind of three parts to that platform of access, education, and representation. So I first kind of want to hit on that access piece and ask you the importance of providing access to books. We just provide, not we, we overarching South Dakota Humanities Council just provided all third graders across the state with a copy of your book. Every third grader, every third grader. Yeah, it's just like it. And you, you, you know, when we were there, it was just like, I mean, I could like, I could, I. It it makes me cry to think about that. What a powerful thing! It is like your book. Take it home. It's yours. That's 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 such a gift from the Humanities Council. And I mean, it's just it's amazing. So yes, access. But you know. I want to go back to that, you know, just that thing and that we were talking about earlier with the libraries where I think that people don't always aren't aware of how accessible it is, no matter where you are, because there's also, you know, like I have, I love a physical book. So that's mm-hmm. kind of like my thing, but I have a, a good friend across the street, a good friend down the street. And they both, they just, they're reading, they're checking books out on their phones, right? And that's that's where they're reading them. And the library will do that for you too. And and it's astonishing to me. I mean, like you can, you, no matter where you are, the library will help you get a book and help you get, you know, the right book. The access is there. And you just, you have to know that though, you know? Mm-hmm. I have people ask me often, you know, is reading on a Kindle, is listening to a book, is that reading? And I think it is, you know, I, especially in this day and age, if you can continue to consume books, even if it is on your phone or if it's on the computer or listening in the car, I listen in the car way more than I've been able to physically open a book. And that's my favorite way to read too, is actually having a physical book in my hand. But as long as you're consuming that knowledge, that escapism in some way, I think that is, is what matters the most. Yeah. I, I, and you know, that is just my personal preference is, is, is a physical book in a, in a quiet sunny corner you know mm-hmm. that's always like one of my goals each day is to like get an hour where everything is turned off and I am alone with a book and a notebook and um and uh, the world opens up and I become myself um and that's I I know I know how much reading matters to you 
and uh, I so believe in your platform. And I just, that's another thing that I want to remind people of, not just the joy, but that, that kind of like self-discovery that happens through books. It's just like you can, it helps you figure out who you are in the world. Um, and uh, that happens for me on a daily basis with a well-written book. So it also builds you up. You know, that's something I try to <laughs> meeting with some high school students the other day. You know, I asked the question, who likes to read, you know, and, and maybe half of them raise their hands. And for those that don't, a lot of their reasoning was, oh, I have to read for school. You know, I have to read a textbook. It sucks. Yada, yada, yada. And then I say, you know, I get it. I probably at your age too, I was like, ha reading kind of sucks. And I still loved to read like novels and adventure and fantasy, but I probably had that same mentality, but I would ask them, okay, you don't like to read, but do you understand how important it is? And they would all talk about, yeah, you know, I have to have reading for this. I have to have reading to be able to become a scientist someday or whatever it may be. And I really appreciated that even if that love wasn't currently there, or maybe that spark had dimmed a little bit, they still understood the importance of it for building them up for the rest of their lives, which was very inspiring to me and hopeful to me that these younger kids, these high school students, they see it. They see that importance because I think some people maybe think they don't, but they really do, which is very yeah. cool. And it's good to hear. And also it makes me think of another thing that, um, you know, because uh, when we were with all those third graders and asked them who liked to read, that was 99% of them, their hands went up. And, mm -hmm. you know, it was the excitement of the moment and everything, I know that. But it was also, like, um, that love is there. And, um, you know, a lot of times uh, parents will say to me, oh, I, you know, how do I make my kid read? And uh, I don't know if you and I talked about this, but it's like, boy, you, you know, you don't have to make them read. Um, you can, it, it is like, like, that thing about joy and privilege, but also let them see you reading mm -hmm. over your own pleasure. And, and it like, it's just like showing them again and again, that this is not a duty. It's not a responsibility. I believe those high school kids, I get what they're saying about how there's so much that they have to read, mm -hmm. but just keeping that door open for the pleasure and the joy of it and the privilege of it and and they will come back around to that you know um I believe that I agree I agree I think another big piece of it which I mean it's it's actually a pillar of my platform for the year is representation seeing you know physically yourself within a book but also emotionally and mentally finding yourself within those pages what do you believe is the importance of having representation? I think we maybe even touched on banned books at one point and making sure that you have access to that representation. Yeah. And so it's just like you said, you need to be able to find yourself in a book. You need to find who you can become in a book. Um, and, you know, it's, it, that's why every uh, it, you know, it matters so much for a kid to be, I mean, you, we don't know what that book is where you find who you can become. Right. Mm -hmm. And so you need to have access to all the books to help you figure out who you are to see yourself in a book. And also this is so important to me is that notion of empathy. I mean, and they have the, they have done the science of this. It is just like reading 
like promotes empathy. So, okay, you're reading about a life that is totally different from yours. And, and it, it promotes you being able to imagine your way into somebody else's sorrow, somebody else's joy. And, and that then opens up the world for you. And, and that's, you know, books can do all of that. The empathy, the finding yourself, the showing yourself who you can become and, and introducing you to other ways of being in the world. I love that idea of finding who you can become. I think that is a beautiful way to think about it. But talking about this idea of finding who you can become, I think segues perfectly into asking you, Kate, what is your favorite book? My favorite book. <laughs> I can never do that. I can't do it when the kids ask. I can't I know. Because, you know, and it goes to this thing about becoming and what I have found at like 59 years old is like books that I loved and I go back and I reread them. It shows me who I was and also like how I've changed by reading that. So like if I had to, you know, I, I go back and I said that I say this to the kids all the time. I reread Charlotte's Web a lot. I didn't read it as a kid. I reread it every year as an adult. It's one of my favorite books. It shows me how to write. Um, it shows me how to put my heart on the page. So that's up there. I just reread one of my favorite books and uh, underlined different passages and dog-eared different pages than I had last year when I read it. And that's Marilyn Robinson's Gilead, um, which is just one of my favorite books. If you and I talk 15 minutes from now, I will tell you a different favorite book. <laughs> um, but it's just like, there are just so many books that I love and come back to again and again and again. And also new books that I'm finding all the time that I love. So, um, and I'm becoming myself more and more with every book that I find. So. I was so inspired listening to you talk to third graders. I'm 25 and I was sitting there on the edge of my seat, wide-eyed and, you know, excited a statistic that I use often, and I, I, we could spend so much more time talking. I would love to have you dive into more things, but one third of fourth graders will not reach the proficient reading level, but your books, and, and I know you're like, ah, don't put this on my shoulders. And it's not just you, but it, it is you in this episode of who we're speaking to, you know, you're helping inspire those students with your stories and with sharing, literally sharing your story when you do presentations and I, I commend you for that. And I thank you for that. For anybody who does that and shares their passion for reading, do you have maybe a final piece of advice for that person who wants to be a storyteller or who wants to find their spark for reading? Yeah, I, I do. And and one of those things, just for the the reader who has not yet discovered the reader in themselves do you know what i mean it's just mm -hmm. like because um there are so many books that uh, even, even if you're not in high school even if you're you know you have to find the book that unlocks the key to you so for the person who wants to love books and has not found their way in here's one of my favorite themes go to your local library I cannot speak more highly of a librarian and how they can guide you to the book that you need. And, and, and we'll keep on working with you until you find the book that unlocks the key to the kingdom, because you discover who you are in books, but you also have to discover who you are as a reader for those people 
who are already readers and want to be writers, well, you've covered one thing already. The biggest, biggest thing about writing is reading. And then after that, it's figuring out a way to do the work of writing. And like I said, for me, I do two pages a day and also rewriting that I, I cannot stress that strongly enough. So you want to, if you want to write, you, you read, you write and you rewrite and, and keep that notebook. Um, and even if you don't ever become a writer, um, you know, as a professional thing, um, it still, it, it satisfies you to be able to put words down on paper and understand yourself better. So writing can just serve for your own purposes too. So there, there you go. That's my pitch. <laughs> you still do two pages a day. That's still your, your process. Yeah. Got up this morning. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Before, before I talk to you up at what time, usually like five 30 when it's still dark um, nobody else is up. Nobody else wants anything. The dog is asleep. <laughs> Two pages. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. I think I'm going to steal that. But Kate, thank you so, so, so much for fitting this into your busy schedule. I deeply, deeply appreciate it. Um, and I'm very excited for people to get to hear it and more people to get to hear a little bit about you and, and what you're doing and your passion. I am very, very honored to be on the show. And like I said, it was great working with you and having you. I mean, it, it added a little bit of dazzle to have the South Dakota <laughs> show up and introduce me. So thank you for all of it. And thank you for your platform. It matters. Thank you so much for joining us for the Page Turners podcast. Make sure that you keep an eye out for the next episode. And until then, leave a review, share with a friend, and check us out on social media at, at MissAmericaSD to keep up with all things literacy and falling in love with reading. I'll catch you next time.